And before letting Talal get started, I'll just introduce him for those who uh, don't know him. Uh, Talal Rashid is Assistant Professor of Modern Arab History at Kuwait University. He obtained his PhD in History from SOAS and holds master's degrees in History and Government from King's College London and Georgetown University, respectively. Talal specializes in the history of modern ideological movements in the Gulf and their transnational connections. His current research deals with the relationship between Arab nationalism and education in Kuwait, focusing particularly on the period between 1911 and 1961, and Arab nationalist activism among Omani exiles in the 1950s and 60s. And I believe it's on the, the latter topic that he'll be focusing today. Um, so I'll go ahead and let uh, Talal get started. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks very much, Courtney, for your kind introduction. I'd like to thank you and everyone at the Middle East Center for so kindly hosting me over the past year. So yeah, uh, we have a PowerPoint presentation. In case anyone um, is listening to us without watching, you're gonna miss out on some pictures and uh, charts. So uh, thanks to growing scholarly attention, most students of Arab political history will no doubt have heard of the Bafar Revolution, which erupted in Oman's southernmost province in 1965. Far fewer will know of its predecessor, the Jebel al-Akhbar uprising, which broke out in the interior of northern Oman in 1957 and dragged on into the 1960s. Backed by Egypt and Saudi Arabia, the uprising sought independence for inner Oman under the rule of the Imam of the Ibadi sect and was led mainly by tribal sheikhs. At first glance, there appears little resemblance between this apparently conservative uprising and the Dhafar revolution, whose leaders espoused Nasserism and later Marxism. However, publications affiliated with the imamate, such as the magazine Sota Oman or Voice of Oman, tell a remarkably different story. Here, Oman's quote-unquote revolution forms part of a pan-Arab awakening under the leadership of Nasserist Egypt and a broader Afro-Asian Afro struggle against colonialism. Democratic, progressive, and even leftist rhetoric abounds. How can this apparent discrepancy be accounted for? I argue that a little-studied political group, the Amani Union, or OU, played a central role in crafting the imamate's political message, imbuing it with its own distinctive ideology. The OU articulated its own brand of Nasserist Arab nationalism, which incorporated three distinctive discourses that set it apart from other Gulf Arab nationalist groups at the time. These were third worldist socialism, a heightened emphasis on Gulf unity, and greater Omani identity. This multifaceted ideology was largely the product of the OU members' diverse experiences of activism and exile between Karachi, Cairo, and various Gulf states. Echoes of, of this ideology are apparent in the better known Omani political movements of the 1960s and 70s. While it is widely argued that the imamate's uprising influenced and even set the stage for the Bafar revolution, the mechanism of this influence has yet to be studied. The OU provides an ideological bridge between these two movements, highlighting continuity between them. Who were the activists of the OU? The group was established in 1952 by three Omani emigres in Karachi, Muhammad Amin Abdullah, Hussein Haider Darwish, and Ahmed al-Jamal. Then the vibrant and cosmopolitan capital of Pakistan, Karachi hosted political exiles from across the Middle East. Omanis residing elsewhere soon joined the nascent group, including Abdullah Ta'i in Bahrain and Faisal bin Ali al-Busaidi, who was then still in Muscat and later moved to Cairo. The OU activists were distinguished from others within the Imamate movement by two primary factors. Firstly, they belonged to the intelligentsia, then referred to in the Gulf as al-Muthaqqafun. They were the counterparts of the Efendiya elsewhere in the Arab world a social stratum defined by its modern Western-style education and outlook. A good proportion of OU members studied abroad and worked as teachers, clerks, and government employees. Secondly, 
While most Imamate activists came from the Omani interior, the OU activists came from the coast, and especially Muscat. The interior was primarily tribal and Ibadi, while Muscatay society was remarkably diverse, as you can see from this chart, illustrating the social backgrounds of OU members. The OU's demographic base was the large number of Omanis forced to leave their country to work in the Gulf for economic reasons, and due to the despotic rule of Sultan Saeed bin Taymur. After its founding in Karachi, the group adopted Kuwait as its primary center because of the large Omani community there, uh, which included a large number of students. The OU obtained numerous scholarships for these pupils from the Kuwaiti government, in addition to civil society organizations. Some of these students went on to participate and lead the Lofar revolution, and it's possible that their interaction with the OU in Kuwait influenced their political outlook. From 1956, Cairo emerged as another vital center of the group after the OU leader, Mohammed Amin Abdullah, moved there and established ties with the Egyptian authorities. It is during this time that the OU beca became aligned with the Imamate movement, perhaps with encouragement from the Egyptian government, which often conditioned its support for Arab uh, revolutionary movements on the formation of popular fronts uniting various actors in any particular country. The OU enthusiastically supported the Al-Jabal al-Akhtar uprising. Its members broadcast speeches on Egypt's Voice of, the Voice of the Arabs radio station, worked at the Imamate diplomatic office in Cairo, and later also in, in similar offices in other Arab states, and penned much of the literature published by these offices. They also participated in the Imamate delegations to the UN, as well as Afro-Asian and Arab regional meetings. The Imamate movement thus benefited, great, benefited greatly from the OU's educated and worldly caters, many of whom were fluent in English as well as Arabic. There is even evidence that the OU carried out guerrilla operations in Muscat in support of the uprising in the interior. Despite this close alignment, the OU's relationship with the Imamate leadership was always uneasy. The latter was suspicious of these young secular Muscatis, many of whom did not share their tribal background and Ibadi faith. For their part, the OU activists conceived of themselves as a vanguard that should rightly lead the struggle instead of the ulama and tribal leaders. In the first half of the 1960s, Relations between the OU and the Imamate gradually broke down. By 1965, the OU itself appears to have dissolved due to internal divisions. The OU, however, left behind an ideological legacy, which was spread throughout the Omani diaspora through the Cairo-based Sotir Oman, which was apparently the only magazine to be published by Omanis during the 1950s and the first half of the 1960s. Let us now discuss the distinctive elements of the OU's ideology. The first is third worldist socialism. Abdul Razak Takriti demonstrates that the Dufar revolution was rooted in the Bandung spirit and tricontinentalism, an outlook emphasizing South-South connections and solidarity in the fight against colonialism. This outlook shifted increasingly leftwards, drawing inspiration from Marxism-Leninism in all its non-Soviet varieties, particularly the Chinese, Cuban, and Vietnamese models. The Dufar revolution's leftist third-worldism was undoubtedly tied to the increasing influence of Marxist ideas within the movement of Arab nationalists, or MAN which can be in turn traced to Egypt's adoption of socialism from 1961. However, it is striking that the OU already propounded remarkably similar ideas long before the MAN and even Abdel Nasser. Undoubtedly, the OU's presence in Egypt, a principal center of third world politics, had much to do with the group's espousal of these ideas. However, there were also other factors at play. In contrast to other Arab nationalist groups in the Gulf in the 1950s, the OU's ideology appears to have been largely rooted in Marxism. Around the time the OU was founded, members of the group published articles in the regional press calling for socialism based on class struggle, an idea that was anathema to most uh, Arab nationalist interpretations of socialism at the time. These articles don't directly reference Marx or communism, 
but this may be because many were published in Arab nationalist magazines. It is also noteworthy that Arab nationalist ideas don't figure prominently in most of these writings. The source of the OU's early socialist orientation is unclear. In his account of the group's founding, Hussein Haider Darwish refers to the prevalence of Soviet-published English language uh, literature in Karachi. Uh, there may be even deeper roots. In 1948, Mohammed Amin Abdullah led the harbor workers of Muscat in what was probably Oman's first strike, also forming a trade union. Ahmed al-Jamali may have been reading Marxist literature as early as the late 1930s when he was studying in Baghdad. Not all OU members shared these leftist roots, with Abdullah Ta'i coming from a more right-wing Arab nationalist background. Indeed, ideological differences may have influenced later fissures within the group. Following the OU's conversion to Nasrism, its members retained their openness to communism. In 1958, around the same time that the MAN was helping the Kuwaiti government to round up communist activists in Kuwait, uh, Sot Oman quoted Lenin, Trotsky, and Mao alongside Arab nationalist and third world figures. Moreover, it serialized a book by a leading member of the Communist Party of Great Britain. The OU socialist orientation appears to, be to, appears to have been reinforced by Chinese and Soviet backing for the Imamis uprising. China in particular gave strong diplomatic support and in 1959, the Imam's deputy, Sheikh Saleh al-Harthi, even met with Mao in Beijing. Sot Oman reciprocated with pro-Chinese rhetoric. Most notably in 1958, Faisal bin Ali penned two lengthy articles glorifying the People's Republic of China and its revolution. He quotes Mao and even attempts to apply the chairman's theory of contradictions to Oman, anticipating the Lofari revolutionaries later embrace of Mao's ideology. Sot Oman also translated sympathetic articles on Oman and Soviet and Eastern Bloc newspapers, as well as a series of articles from Pravda on the subject of colonialism. As relations warmed between Cairo and Havana, the magazine also began extolling the Cuban revolution. This is not to suggest that the OU socialist outlook in the late 1950s and early 1960s was primarily Marxist. On the contrary, third world states provide a key source of inspiration. A 1961 article in Sot Oman states, we need youth who embody Jamal's spirit and determination, Castro's toughness, Jomo Kenyatta's sacrifice, and Lumumba's tenacity. Alongside Abdel Nasser's Arab socialism, the socialist models of Yugoslavia and India are also praised. Nero figures prominently in Sot Oman, and Mohammed Amin Abdullah went on to translate a book on his political philosophy in 1966. Uh, the magazine also devotes a great deal of coverage to the activities of the Afro-Asian People's Solidarity Organization from which the imamate derived a great deal of diplomatic support, along with events such as the 1961 All-African People's Conference in Cairo. Finally, the OU's eclectic socialist approach is also highlighted by Abdullah's translation of a book by a Fabian socialist, which was advertised in Sot Oman. The OU can thus be, be said to have cumulatively cobbled together its socialist ideals as its, moved, as its members moved from one location and political context to another. Let us now turn to the second key strand within the OU's distinctive ideology, which is Gulf unity. For all that is talked about, hardly any scholarly attention has been paid to the historical origins of Khaliji or Gulfi identity. Some even argue that the region's governments concocted it with the establishment of the Gulf Cooperation Council in 1981. The OU contradicts this claim. From the 1950s, it argued for Gulf unity on a popular as opposed to a governmental basis. As with other Gulf activists at the time, the OU's conception of regional unity also encompassed what they termed the Arab South, the Janub al-Arabi, i.e. North and especially South Yemen. Of course, this regional unity was portrayed as part of a broader Arab nationalist project. 
Though this pan-Gulf agenda was not unique to the OU, the group was much more vocal and insistent in pursuing it than its counterparts elsewhere in the, in the region. This stemmed from both experience and need. Most OU members lived in other Gulf countries, particularly Kuwait and Bahrain, where they were well integrated into cultural and political life. In fact, in the OU's early years, many of its members wrote for the magazine Sotr Bahrain, or Voice of Bahrain, which effectively served as the group's first platform and was the model for Sotr Oman. When OU members spoke about Gulf unity, they spoke less about sentiment than practice. While they referred to historic cultural and social ties among the region's inhabitants, they focused on British colonialism as the key factor uniting the various Gulf states in South Yemen. In the words of Faisal bin Ali, their affliction is our affliction and their pain is our pain. This practical approach to Gulf unity reflects the OU's status as a movement in exile that depended on the help of the region's activists and officials. The OU's prescription for the affliction of British colonialism was the formation of a patriotic front uniting the region's anti-colonial forces, a strategy ins inspired by Nasser's ideology. Indeed, according to the OU, the absence of such regional coordination explains the failure of previous liberation movements in the Gulf states. The group practiced what it preached by participating in the Office for the Liberation of the Arabian Gulf and Southern Peninsula. Headquartered in Damascus, this organization aimed to represent and coordinate the various progressive opposition groups in the region. The idea of unity of struggle in the Gulf would become a central concept in subsequent Armani political groups in the 1960s and 70s, notably the Popular Front for the Liberation of the Occupied Arabian Gulf. Indeed, the resemblance between the pan-Gulf agenda of the OU and these later groups goes even further. The latter conceived of Oman, and particularly Lofar, as the Gulf's Vietnam, a base from which the revolution would spread throughout the region. The OU allocates a similar role to Oman, arguing that as the only place witnessing armed revolution, it had the greatest potential to achieve liberation. Moreover, Oman occupies a strategic location at the mouth of the Gulf and is a vital base for British colonialism. Gulf activists should thus focus on liberating Oman because it would provide a base where, quote, all patriots could find support in continuing the struggle to complete the region's liberation, instead of having to resort to faraway places, which hinders their activities and ability to direct the cause, end quote. Oman is thus portrayed as central to this popular Gulf unity project. This brings us to the third and final distinctive strand within the OU's ideology, which is greater Omani identity. As far as can be ascertained, the OU was the first political group to center its identity around a modern conception of an Omani Watan or Patri. Omanis had previously participated in modern political organizations in Zanzibar, but in these cases, Oman was not the primary focus of identification and mobilization. Indeed, the virtual absence of references to Zanzibar and Sultan Oman is noteworthy. And though it comments on the Sultan's ceding of the Gwadar enclave in Baluchistan to Pakistan in 1958, it does not claim the territory as part of the Omani Watan. The OU's Oman is thus territorial, territorially delineated and unencumbered by its imperial baggage. That said, the Omani Watan to which the OU devoted itself was not coterminous with today's Omani state. Rather, the group conceived of a greater or natural Oman, as it was variously termed, which incorporated the interior region claimed by the Imamate, Muscat and the coast, the southern, the far region, and the Trucial states, today's United Arab Emirates. The latter region had ancient historical and tribal ties to Oman proper, and was commonly referred to in Arabic as Sahel Oman, or the Oman coast. Its identification with Oman was thus not new, but its inclusion within a modern political agenda of unification with the other Omani regions was apparently pioneered by the, IU, by the OU. Rather. 
It would later be taken up by virtually all subsequent left leftist and Arab nationalist groups, both in Oman and the Trucial states. How does this expanded conception of Oman square with the secessionism of the Imamate movement, which sought an independent state of Oman in the interior? Many articles in Sot Oman turn this charge of secession on its head. They argue that the Imamate was the original and legitimate political system of Oman, and it was the Sultans of Muscat who seceded through allying with Britain and betraying their people. Their rule became limited to a narrow coastal strip, while the Imamate continued to hold out against colonialism. However, it must be clarified that the Imamate portrayed in the OU's discourse differs from, from that of the Ibadi theologians. Its participatory and anti-imperialist dimensions are emphasized at the expense of the religious and sectarian, and is depicted as a patriotic government for all Omanis. The Ya'ariba Imams, who ruled greater Oman in the 17th and 18th centuries and expelled the Portuguese, are frequently mentioned. Others are, uh, other articles in Sultan Oman are more forthright in explaining, in explaining the OU's alignment with the Imamate. In one inst instance, the author admits that he was initially skeptical of the Imamate's uprising because he thought that a revolution based in only one region of Oman could not succeed. However, the Imamate's initial gains against the Sultanate proved that it was capable of liberating Oman as a whole. Writing in 1958, he claims that the uprising is already spreading to other Omani regions. Another article argues that an independent state in the interior, supported by Cairo, would be, quote, a radiant center and a tribune of liberation for the other parts of the Omani homeland. It adds that the Imamate's current leadership has, quote, recently seen the need to introduce modern scientific method, a means, rather, in Wasa'al al-Ulmi al-Haditha. This begs the question, were the secular and diverse OU members actually prepared to submit to the rule of the Imam and his tribal allies? The writings of these cadres reveal that they had another goal in mind. Again, we see persistent calls for a patriotic front uniting all Omani anti-colonial forces and representing the entirety of Greater Oman as opposed to just the interior. A close reading of the OU's writings reveals that only one social group is considered qualified to lead such a front, the Muthaqqafun or intelligentsia. Only these enlightened elements can bring progress to Oman, which is shackled not only by colonialism, but also by backwardness. This desire for a Muthaqqaf-led front is most clearly expressed in a novella by Abdullah Ta'i entitled Malaik al Jabal al-Akhdar, or Angels of the Green Mountain. The author claims that it is based on true events and completed it in 1962, when the defeat of the Imamate's uprising had become flagrantly apparent. The story's protagonist is Khalid, an Omani pan-Arabist teacher who quits his job in Qatar to join the Jabal al-Akhdar uprising. After the mountain falls to British and Sultanate forces, he is imprisoned, only to be set free by his comrades. Upon emerging, he finds the Imamate movement in disarray due to the incompetence and infighting of its leaders and the betrayals of tribal sheikhs. Khalid then spearheads the formation of a new revolutionary organization. Democratically led, it is, quote, popular, not tribal, patriotic, not regionalist, and based on the belief in a united Oman, not divided into coast, interior, and batana. Al-Ta'i concludes his novella with the following ambitious phrase, the beginning of the second phase of the patriotic Armani revolution. It is impossible, or sorry, it is possible that the OU eventually convinced the Imamate movement of the need for a patriotic front. Around the beginning of 1963, the OU joined the Imamate and other political groups in forming the Oman Liberation Front. This front only lasted until 1964 due to internal conflicts. In any case, it probably came too late, too late to save a movement that was already in terminal decline. However, the quest for a, unite, for a front uniting the various uh, parts of the greater Omani homeland would be taken up by the next generation of activists in the late 1960s 
and 70s. To sum up, the OU members' experiences of activism in various contexts from Karachi to Cairo led them to develop a multi-layered ideology that distinguished them from other contemporary Nasrist groups in the Gulf. The OU emphasized and popularized the discourses of third worldist socialism, Gulf unity, and greater Omanism, contributing to their adoption by most subsequent Arab nationalist and leftist groups in Oman. Let us finally address the broader significance of studying what was after all a relatively small and obscure organization. What can it tell us about the study of the Gulf more generally? Firstly, it serves as an example of the long, rich, and gravely understudied history of modernist political and intellectual movements in the Gulf. Scholarship on the region tends to portray it as a timeless domain of tribes and tradition, all but cut off from the ideological currents sweeping the broader Arab world. Developments such as uh, the Dhofar Revolution are assumed to be transient aberrations. In truth, however, they emerge from established roots, and the OU is but one of many similar groups in the Gulf's history that are virtually ignored by scholars. A second takeaway from studying the OU is that it highlights the agency people from the Gulf exercised in espousing modernist ideologies. When reading the British documents, we often encountered the image of wily Arab expatriates imposing their ideas on unwitting Gulf natives, an image that is sometimes reproduced in academic writing. In truth, however, people from the region creatively interpreted these ideologies to suit their context and needs. The intellectual history of the Gulf, which has barely been covered in Western scholarship, thus needs to be taken seriously. This brings me to my last point. In order to properly study the Gulf's political and intellectual history, scholars need to stop depending solely on British colonial archives and use local Arabic language source material. Indeed, the reason why the OU has been virtually overlooked in the academic literature on Oman is probably because there are very few uh, references to it in the British records. This research would not be possible without relying on Sultan Oman and other published writings by OU members. The Gulf periodical press, which dates back to the 1920s, offers a particularly rich body of sources that's becoming increasingly easy to access thanks to the republication of magazines, digitization, and improvements in archiving in the Gulf states. It should no longer be acceptable to ignore the voices of the Gulf's inhabitants when writing the region's history. Thank you. Thank you so much, that was fascinating. And it's, your work is a really important part of, of the work that you're talking about more generally about tracing intellectual history of the Arabian Peninsula, which often uh, overlooks the citizens of, of the peninsula itself. Um, so I think your work has, has advanced that quite a bit and advanced our understanding quite a bit of, of how much ideology does matter um, in, the, in the Gulf. Um, so we have a couple of questions so far. Um, one is, can you speak more to South Oman's circulation, reception, and so on, both in the region generally and in Oman specifically? Right. Well, it was um, published in Cairo, as I said, and um, from there, it was shipped to Kuwait, and Kuwait was really the main distribution center for this magazine. Uh, it was, uh, after that, circulated throughout the Gulf, uh, but it was banned in, in uh, Muscat, in, in, in the areas controlled by Sultan Said bin Timur, and also in, uh, in Bahrain, which was you know, uh, subject to, uh, to more tight control by the British colonial authorities. So uh, even in these places, it was smuggled in. And, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to estimate the, the circulation, you know, we don't have any numbers. Uh, but uh, we see basically a great deal of interaction, you know, a, a lot of letters coming in from readers throughout the region. 
from you know eastern province of Saudi Arabia, from Qatar, from Karachi, from from you know uh, uh, throughout the Middle East and and and, uh, and South Asia as well. So it's it's uh, you know from that we can assume that its it, it circulation was at least geographically quite widespread. Though we do not know in, in terms of, of numbers, you know how much uh, uh, how many people actually read the, the magazine. And there's a follow-up on that, actually. Um, was the publication itself uh, founded by OU members? Uh, the publication itself was founded by the OU in, uh, in coordination with the Omani Student Association, which was at the same time uh, you know, in, in Cairo. Um, and basically, uh, it was mostly controlled by the OU. But the, the students also uh, basically participated in, um, uh, you know, in basically uh, uh, writing for it and, and editing it. Um, it. It was not officially tied to the imamate, but as we saw, you know, from the, the you know, the first covers that I that I displayed in the, in the PowerPoint presentation, it, it really adopted the imamate cause, you know, and often, you know, basically displayed, you know, uh, pictures or, or, or published interviews of, of with with prominent imamate figures and and covered, you know, the the the, uh, the movements, um, you know, uh, uh, news. And so it, it turned into, especially over time, it turned into kind of more of an official uh, or semi-official uh, imamate, uh, um, you know, uh, organ um, and uh, this might be because the uh, um, the the imamate actually tried to control it through the Egyptian authorities uh, by basically uh, saying you know that, that sometimes they took took actually exception to some of the things published by by the the, the magazine and and they would ask basically the Egyptian authorities to censor it or to to even ban its publication which which happened in the, in the early 60s so uh, through this, this, uh, you know, this, these methods of control, I think they were able to reel it in more and subject it more to the, to the imamate movement. Okay, interesting. Um, I have another question. Um, was there any solidarity work done at this time really by left-wing groups in the UK with the, the groups in Oman? Uh, yes, there was. Um, <coughs> uh, actually, um, there was a, a committee uh, uh, that basically advocated on on uh, behalf of the uh, the um, Jabal Akbar uprising in Oman, and it was led by Faris Glub, who was the uh, the the son of John Bagot Glub, the you know of Jordan fame, you know that the the the, uh, the British uh, um, uh, colonial uh, 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 military man. Uh, but John Bagot, oh, sorry, but Faris Glub uh, um, was. Uh, entirely different character he was he was uh, um, you know more leftist in orientation and he would go on to um, to have uh, basically close relations also with the Lafari revolutionaries and also with um, uh, Palestinian groups and so far as club uh, um, you know organized on 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 behalf of the, of the the uprising in in the UK and he was also active with the um, anti-slavery organization, which, which sought to uh, basically, you know, end slavery in, in Oman, uh, uh, which still existed at that time and was, was you know, one of the, uh, uh, basically the, the accusations constantly leveled at uh, Sultan Said bin Taymur, that he still had slaves, that he still, you know, uh, basically, uh, you know, th this was part of his uh, really backwardness uh, as portrayed by, by uh, the opposition. I had no idea. That's fascinating. Um, I'm kind of a 
two two questions in one kind of thing. Um, the first is why did the intellectuals, as as part of uh, the OU, exclude Zanzibar and Gwadar from their geopolitical imagination, given that they had a South South political orientation? And then the second question from the same person is who funded these activists and how effective were they in spreading their ideas across the Gulf? I guess through Sat Oman and, and other in other ways. And I guess I mean connected to that, I was wondering. You mentioned how many Omani, how many members really were in Kuwait uh, as, as students in particular and the circulation of Satoman in Kuwait. I mean, can you speak a bit about the, the influence of, of this group of the OU and its ideology on Kuwaiti leftists? Right. Uh, well, first of all, they, they didn't exclude, uh, um, basically, they had South-South you know, orientation, but they also had a conception of, of what it meant to be Omani. And, and Zanzibar and Gwadar didn't figure into that. They were still third worldists. They still would, you know, have sol you know, be in solidarity with, with, you know, uh, you know, pan African movements, with, with, uh, you know, leftist and, 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 and nationalist movements, anti-colonial movements throughout the region. Uh, but when it came to defining who is an Omani or what is Oman, uh, uh, they they didn't see um, uh, uh, Zanzibar and and Gwadar to be to be part of it. And and this, I mean, it's it's a good question as to why, um, you know, it. it, it uh, it, they were fixated really on this idea of greater Oman. And at the same time, it could also be due to their maybe Arab nationalist background, uh, um, you know, seeing Oman as, a, as an Arab state. Um, and with regards to, uh, uh, could you re remind me of the other questions? You said, I think the circulation and, and of the- Yeah, sorry, I, I gave you a lot at once. Um, is it about fund, the funding of the OU and, and how right. effective were they in spreading their ideas across the Gulf? And then I'd ask specifically about, I guess, the influence on Kuwaiti leftists. Right. Well, I think I mean the the in terms of the funding, um, it's 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 not quite clear. I mean, it seems that they had you know some support uh, uh, you know as part of the broader Imam Imam movement from the Egyptian government, uh, uh, but for their operations in Egypt. Uh, but but otherwise, I mean, I think they relied a lot on on um, you know uh, uh, donations from 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 people. But it's 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 not quite clear. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, there's of course no no spreadsheets, no, 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 uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, books that, that show us where they got their money from. It was, after all, you know, uh, um, a, a, an underground movement to a large extent. And, and they, they frequently relied on cooperation with, with, um, with you know, uh, um, other governments. Say, for example, when, when you know, uh, uh, organizing scholarships for Omani students, they would, they would approach the Kuwaiti government, the Qatari government. And, and in, in, in many cases, they would, they would actually receive scholarships from these governments. Uh, uh, the closely closely related uh, Omani Student Association in Cairo uh, did a really good job of approaching Eastern Bloc uh, governments and the Soviet Union as well to obtain scholarships uh, for students. So in, in many cases, I mean, they, they really relied on the goodwill of governments and also civil society organizations. For example, there was a, um, uh, a, 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 a association set up in Kuwait called Jami'at al-Janub al-Khalij al-Arabi, which was basically um, uh, uh, basically had the, the role of providing private scholarships to Armani students to supplement the government scholarships. And uh, this uh, uh, was basically an initiative that was, you know, uh, uh, spearheaded by both uh, OU members and uh, the, the Kuwaiti branch of the MAN. So, so you had, you know, this reliance on, on uh, you know, uh, uh, solidarity from, from other uh, organizations as well as governments in, in the region. Um, and with regards to the, the efficacy of, of, of spreading the ideas, ideas, I think, I mean, 
this has been really the, 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 the argument of my presentation, is that, that many of these, uh, these ideas that, that we can really, I mean, uh, apparently seem to begin with, 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 uh, with, uh, with uh, the Oman Union and to have been articulating Sot Oman, then become really mainstays of, of uh, the uh, you know, subsequent uh, uh, leftist and Arab nationalist groups in, in Oman. This idea of third world socialism, this idea of, of um, uh, 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 you know, Gulf unity, uh, uh, emphasis on the Gulf unity, and um, also uh, uh, greater Oman. And uh, so I, it, it, I think that that, that that suggests that they were actually quite uh, effective. And we see, you know, s some of these, uh, you know, people who went on to lead the the, the far revolution, for example, Salam Ahmed Ghassani, uh, Ali Muhsin, uh, were actually uh, students, uh, uh, you know, were gave, given scholarship by Jamiat al-Janoub uh, al-Khalij al-Arabi, which I've just mentioned, you know, and, and they were actually students in Kuwait, and their, you know, their study was was organized by the OU, and the OU was actually quite active among students in Kuwait. And they, um, they acted sometimes as, as couriers for the group. They, they, uh, they wrote for the group. Some of them went on to occupy prominent positions. Uh, for example, one um, uh, graduate, Abdullah Suleiman, uh, who graduated from uh, Shweikh uh, Secondary School in Kuwait, went on to, to um, represent the Omani Union on the office of the, of the uh, um, uh, Gulf and Arabian South, uh, which had a, you know, a, a, a Kuwaiti committee. So, so the, the students were, were really key to the uh, OU's activities in Kuwait. And it's really, it's, it's in, in, in Hsien Haider Darwish's uh, account of the founding of the group, he really emphasizes this. He says that, that uh, Muhammad Amin Abdullah moved from Karachi to Kuwait to be close to these active elements, to guide them and to, to, to you know, rely on them. But, uh, you know, it's, it's in, in order to, I, I think you had asked about the numbers. Again, that's really hard to gauge. I mean, we have, like, uh, the, the prominent uh, uh, members who were in Kuwait, uh, many who were actually elsewhere ended up moving to Kuwait. So you have, uh, uh, you know, Mohammed Amin Abdullah for a time, Ahmed al-Jamali, uh, um, uh, um, uh, Abdullah Ta'i, uh, uh, Mahmoud al-Khusaybi, um, uh, Karim al-Harmi, uh, um, a, a lot of them, you know, Hamdan Abdullah Saeed, a lot of them were, were, were based in Kuwait and, and worked in, in Kuwait state institutions. Um, uh, then there were, I mean, a wider circle of sympathizers of, of, of people who had maybe casual, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, basically dalliances with, with, the, with the group. Uh, it's, 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 you know, with, with an underground group like this, uh, it's really hard to 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 put a finger on the numbers, but I mean we're probably talking about you know tens of of, of people uh, in in Kuwait, and and um, it, and basically um, uh, outside you know it's 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 probably you know maybe even maybe we're talking about more sympathizers as opposed to active members because Kuwait was really the the center for the group in the Gulf. Fascinating. Um, I guess kind of on the topic of this, the transnational influence of, of the OU, um, could you say a bit more about Karachi as a place for Arab dissidents and for exile politics, since it's not as commonly referenced as, as some other places like Paris or Geneva? Definitely. I mean, it's, it's something that I'm, I'd like to learn more about. And if anyone, you know, can, can help me with this, I'm, I, I really look forward to, to hearing from you. I mean, I'm, I'm on Twitter, by the way, so you can, you can shoot me a message there. Um, uh, Basically, Karachi, I mean, as described by Hussein Haider Darwish, one of the group's uh, founders, he, he really describes it as, as a, a meaning place for um, 
basically activists from throughout the region, uh, from uh, you know Arab states such as as he, men he mentions Yemen, Sudan, uh, Oman, uh, but also for example Iran as well, and uh, and basically uh, at the time uh, um, uh, Karachi University was also an exceptionally vibrant place, uh, and, and many of the um, the, the, or a few, I should say, of the OU activists uh, studied at, uh, at KU. And um, also, uh, they used to congregate at, congregate at a particular cafe you know, called uh, Shizan, uh, which apparently still exists today, uh, today in, in Karachi. And, uh, and, and, you know, they used to have their, you know, meetings basically of, of really uh, diverse people. And, and, and the OU seems to, be a, to have been um, particularly influenced by some of the Yemeni, uh, activists, um, particularly Mohammed Mahmoud Zubaydi, who was, uh, was a, a, a poet, and, and, and went on to found a, a group called Al-Ittihad al-Yamani, uh, which and you can see the, 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 the parallel in, in the names, you know, Al-Ittihad al-Yamani, Al-Ittihad al-Yamani, the, the Yemeni Union. And, uh, and, you know, there are parallels, I think, with, with uh, some of the um, rhetoric used by, by uh, Yemeni uh, uh, you know, uh, um, opposition groups during this time, anti-colonial groups, for example, the idea of, of, uh, of uh, you know, uh, greater Oman or natural Oman uh, really parallels the idea of, of greater Yemen or natural Yemen, Yemen, uh, you know, Tabi'i. So it's, 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 it's um, I, I think, you know, that there's, um, that it was really a formative stage in, 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 in Basically, the evolution of of of, uh, of the group, even though many of the um, the uh, the activists would go on to to move elsewhere, uh, some stayed for quite a while. For example, Ahmed Al Jamali became a teacher at uh, uh, a school that was established by the Kuwaiti government, and and this school was basically established to cater to not only the the the, the Population of Kuwaitis who, who lived in this in this uh, in, in this port city and, and conducted business there, but also uh, uh, you know Arabs in general, and it had, had you know a, uh, an Arab nationalist orientation. So it's 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 kind of fitting that, that Ahmed Al Jamali would would uh, teach there, and and he he taught there up till the the early 60s until the 61 when the uh, when the school was shut down. Um, so it's it's. Uh, it's uh, you know an interesting period which which I need to look more into. And again, if anyone has has any more leads, any more ideas, uh, I'd I'd really like to to uh, hear them. Great, me too. Um, but uh, I have another question. Can you tell us how future generations of activists, such as the Dofar revolutionaries, look back at the OU? Did they also neglect it? What helps to explain later activist discourses? And I guess on a somewhat related note, there's also a question about any parallels from the failed revolution in Iran and the Arab Spring. So I guess kind of how, how future revolutions were engaged with the OU or didn't. Um, right. Well, I mean, it's... it's uh, when we look at you know the different generations of um, of uh, um, political movements in in, in the Gulf, uh, you often find that that you know when you have you know paradigm shifts you know from from for example uh, uh, you know Arab nationalism to to leftist ideology, we often have critiques you know so so we have really uh, you know uh, within the the um, the the Fadi uh, revolutionary movement, a really strong critique of the imamate movement as a whole. Uh, uh, nothing that I have seen on, on the OU specifically. Um, 
but uh, then I'm not a, an expert on on on, on the thought of revolution or the or the, you know that period. Uh, uh, so you know it's it's something that I think needs to be uh, you know uh, basically uh, um, studied further. But you have people, for example, who you know bridge the gap. People who were active within the 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 imamate movement, but later you know played a role in the uh, the Dufar revolution. For example, Zahar al Miyahi, and and Zahar uh, was you know even as uh, you know in 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 the early seventies was a a, pro a powerful or, or or a very strong proponent of the idea of greater Oman, of of the idea of of uh, basically having uh, you know a, a, a front uniting. You know, basically, not only people in in Bafar and 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 northern uh, Oman, Muscat on the coast, uh, 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 and inner Oman, but also even the Trusha states. Uh, so it's it's there are there are um, continuities, even when they aren't necessarily acknowledged. I mean, at the same time, Zahar al-Miyahi was, you know, very, you know, as someone who had fought with the Imamate movement and and someone who who was really. Uh, uh, you know, disheartened by it, and 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 was was uh, you know disillusioned with with the failure of its leaders. He he still you know had these ideas that 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 were he probably formed as as an activist within uh, the the uh, the imamate movement. So so it's it's uh, it's I would say the verdict or the the opinion of the Dafari revolutionaries of the imamate movement was was not necessarily a positive one. But at, the, but at the same time, you know, they were influenced by it. And, and, that, and that, that is, is widely argued. Was, it, was there another element to the question that I missed? Um, there, was, there was another question that's I mean, somewhat like kind of loosely related about kind of parallels between the failed revolution in Oman and the Arab Spring. And it, um, oh, uh, that I, I can't comment on. I, I don't think I, I can tackle that one. Um, and then I have a couple of questions here about um, sources, basically. Um, one question asking if South Oman is um, archived digitally or figuratively. Um, another um, saying, uh, South Oman is an excellent source. Were there any other forms of media, um, like radio, flyers, theater, that could provide additional insights? Um, also, are there memoirs of the leaders? Um, and another question just asking recommended books. Um, for literature reviews uh, or things kind of related to the topic, so. Right, uh, well, um, uh, okay. Um, can you remind me of the first one again? I think Sorry, that was a lot. Um, so is Satoman um, archive? Yeah, right. Uh, well, it's, it, it, I, I found it in three uh, separate libraries and I, I, I don't claim to have found all the issues. But I found a good number, uh, really, uh, and is distributed between uh, British Library and uh, Stanford University Library of all places, and um, uh, the Library of Congress. Um, apart from that, I, I have not found the the magazine really anywhere in the region, and it, it seems to be really uh, forgotten. It seems to be unknown to a large extent, uh, um, uh, at least to scholars. Um, so it's 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 I, I'm still in the process of trying to you know collect more uh, issues. So if anyone has any leads, any any ideas where we can find them apart from those the places that I mentioned, again I would really appreciate any uh, any um, any uh, tips. Um, with regards to other sources, yes, uh, I I, um, I mentioned basically the 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 uh, 
really, it's, 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 a, it's a pseudo-memoir by Hussein Haider Darwish, who was one of the group's founder, founders. It's, it's, it's supposed to be a biography of Muhammad Amin Abdullah, uh, but it ends up being more a, a memoir of, of his time in, in the Omani Union. And, um, and that is really a, a, a key uh, source. Um, there are also uh, uh, many books uh, published by uh, uh, you know, members. I, I mentioned the novella by Abdullah Ta'i. Uh, uh, Abdullah Ta'i also has recently had his um, uh, uh, complete works republished by a, a Jordanian uh, um, uh, publishing house. Uh, so it, it, can, it includes both his, his uh, he is really a you know, prolific writer. He has a, a really a lot of um, a, a poetry, of, 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 uh, of books and of articles, and, and uh, they've re been republished recently. Um, they, they, they wrote a lot. I mean, even, uh, for example, Muhammad Amin Abdullah was a, was a prolific translator, and he translated uh, many uh, books into, uh, in, from, from English into Arabic. And, you know, they also, you know, are very indicative of, of you know, the ide ideology that he held. Um, I mentioned, for example, his translation of Nero's thought. Uh, um, and um, uh, there are also books by uh, Faisal bin Ali bin Faisal al-Bus'idi. Um, Sultan was Ta'mar is, is a prominent one. Qadiyat Oman is another. Uh, and uh, I, I believe I didn't uh, mention the title of the of the book of Saint Haider Darwish, which is really the main account. And, I, and anyone who wants to read about uh, the group should should really start with that. It's called Munawal Min Oman by Saint Haider Darwish, and you can find the PDF copies of it online. Um, uh, other forms of media, basically, they were uh, at the same time. Um, like I said, that the, the OU activists participated in uh, broadcasts uh, via Sot al Arab or Voice of the Arabs, uh, the you know the famous Egyptian uh, uh, radio station, and you can find you know transcripts of some of these broadcasts in the in the British records. Um, so so that was a, a really a, a main um, uh, really channel by through which they articulated their 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 thought and 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 also you know influenced uh, um, you know uh, Armani's and, and others in the Gulf as well. Um, also, uh, uh, there were newsletters which were published by the, the different uh, uh, imamate diplomatic offices, uh, the one in Cairo, but also ones in Beirut and Baghdad and uh, um, uh, Damascus. And some of these uh, offices also um, uh, published books or, or, or pamphlets. And, and, you know, as I said, especially the, the one in Cairo, many of these were probably um, uh, uh, composed and, and, and written by uh, um, uh, uh, OU activists, particularly Muhammad Amin Abdullah, who I hear like, played a big role in, in, uh, in publishing the, um, the pamphlets that came out of the Imamate office in, uh, in, uh, in Cairo. Um, I, I believe uh, there, was a, there was a question I neglected to answer, which is about uh, uh, solidarity between the OU and other um, leftist groups in the, in the Gulf. And uh, there was quite a bit of solidarity from uh, uh, the uh, Bahraini activists and Kuwaiti activists. Uh, uh, for example, uh, you know, the, the uh, um, organs of the uh, movement of Arab nationalists in Kuwait uh, would, um, you know, advertise Sot Oman and advertise books by, by uh, members, for example, uh, Faisal bin Ali's uh, Sultan was Ta'mar. Um, uh, at the same time, you know, I talked about uh, 
really uh, 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 Sotil Bahrain and how it was really a, a uh, uh, you know, the, the, the effectively the, the group's first platform. And, and, you know, you can see there, you know, a, a form of, of uh, you know, uh, you know, basically that it was through these Bahraini activists that, that uh, many of whom were abnationalists that the OU was, was given a voice uh, in its early days. So, so uh, it was it was close to the to the you know movement of Arab nationalists in the region, and it was really close to to you know uh, um, uh, uh, basically uh, uh, you know Nasserist groups throughout the region, and and uh, and I also mentioned it's 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 you know how it teamed up with them and forming this um, uh, um, uh, office in in Damascus, the office uh, for you know the the Arabian Peninsula and and, and southern. Uh, sorry, the office for the Gulf and, and, and Southern Peninsula, Maktab Janub al Khalij al Arabi, which was, um, you know, really, uh, uh, which was set up by um, Kuwaiti MAN, um, uh, Abdurrahman al Bakr, who is a, is a very prominent uh, Bahraini Arab activist, and also uh, OU activists, in addition to, to, uh, to other groups from the region. That's great. Um, you're answering the some of the questions before I even ask them. So um, thanks for that. And I had a question um, also, what kind of careers um, did the founders and the members of the OU end up uh, following later on? Um, many of them, uh, basically when, when the group kind of fizzled out in, in the mid sixties, uh, a few of them uh, went over to uh, the, the movement of Tariq bin Taymur, who was the, the Sultan's uncle and who was campaigning to establish a, um, a constitutional form of rule in, in, in Oman. Uh, and he, you know, was, was active in exile in, in Lebanon. Uh, and so he was joined by Faisal bin Ali and by Karim al-Harmi. And uh, um, uh, Tariq bin Taymur would then actually become uh, Oman's first prime minister with the uh, you know, uh, beginning of, of Sultan Qaboos's rule. So uh, uh, many, with the beginning of Sultan, Qaboos, of Sultan Qaboos's rule, many of these activists would, would actually go and, and work in Oman. Uh, some would become ministers, for example, uh, um, Faisal bin Ali, uh, uh, Abdullah Ta'i, uh, uh, and Karim al-Harmi, uh, while others would, would work in, in different capacities in, in, uh, in, uh, in government. Uh, some would become disillusioned and later leave again, but uh, uh, you know, basically there was a, a reconciliation that allowed many of them to to uh, return home to uh, to Oman and and become you know kind of integrated again uh, into the the uh, the establishment to 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 a certain extent. Uh, there were people who who were never really reintegrated. For example, Muhammad Amin Abdullah. Uh, basically remained um, in exile for, for a long period of time and, and remained with the Imamate movement. And, uh, and you know, it, it's, uh, I, you know, it's, it's, it's really has kind of a sad story that he was, you know, basically died in poverty. So it's, it's, it's um, you know, it's, it's diverse stories, you know, but, but a good proportion of them would go on to have uh, political careers in, in, uh, in Oman itself. Um, and I guess we've talked a bit about the connections between the OU and um, the GCC states, but uh, I have a question here. Could you tell us more about the Iranian connection uh, in the OU membership? Because I guess you had noted an Iranian activist. Uh, yes. Well, well, I'm. I'm. It's, it's particularly Mohammed Amin Abdullah, whose last name is Bastiki. Uh, he comes from you know from Bestek originally, but uh, you know it's, it's, it's uh, he's uh, from a uh, you know a. An old uh, uh, family uh, that, that you know uh, 
basically resided in Oman for a long time, particularly I think it originated in Khorfa Khan, which is currently part of the UAE. Um, and uh, so he is, is basically of, of this um, background uh, that, that in other places in the Gulf would be called the Huwile. Uh, but, but this, this you know, the, 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 this basically people who are of uh, uh, mixed Iranian and, and Arab heritage and are, you know, primarily Sunni and come from the coasts of, 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 uh, of Iran. Though that, that particular term, Ahuela, is not used in the, in the Armani context. So uh, uh, that's in, 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 his, in his case, you know. Um, uh, but he, I mean, I don't think that that was, um, you know, uh, uh, that I should say that that chart in the end is, is a bit crude. You know, it kind of um, basically reifies these, these uh, divisions and kind of um, really uh, portrays the, 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 this, uh, you know, society as akin to a mosaic, you know. We, we, talk about, you know, in, in Middle East studies, this, this old-fashioned mosaic approach to, to looking at Middle Eastern societies as these, you know, disparate, uh, basically, groups that, that don't really interact with each other. But what you, what you have really in, 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 in Muscati society is a really a, a fluid situation in which there's a large degree of, of for example, intermarriage between, between many of these activists. So, so you know, that, that is his origin, but he's, not, he's, he's thoroughly integrated into uh, into Armani uh, and, and specifically Muscati society, uh, uh, but beyond that, I, I can't really. I mean, Hussein Haider Darwish talks about interaction with Iranian activists in Karachi, but uh, but he doesn't really give any any uh, details. So so I can't really uh, um, add much more on that on that point. Um. And I guess then also, what was the role of the Imamate office in Baghdad and in what capacities, or if at all, I guess, did it receive support from the Ba'athists there? Um, well, it, it, it basically, all of these offices were, were uh, basically diplomatic offices. I mean, the, the Imamate was essentially a, 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 um, a state in exile. It, it had its, its own passports. That, that were recognized by many um, Arab countries. It uh, issued even its own stamps, uh, which were actually, you know, accepted also by, by, by you know, sympathetic Arab countries. Um, it, uh, you know, they, they represented the, the, you know, the imamate at, uh, you know, diplomatic functions. They, um, they acted as, as centers of propaganda. Uh, and this is, you know, in Baghdad and as well as, as uh, you know, uh, Cairo, Kuwait, uh, uh, Beirut, Damascus, um, uh, and 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 elsewhere as well, Algeria. Um, so it's it's. Uh, I mean, they were accorded really full diplomatic status to by by many Arab states, um, and uh, they were actually uh, uh, first in, in the beginning. They were actually backed by Abdul Karim Qasim before the Baathists. And they, and they have, uh, you know, despite the, you know, the, the, the rancor and the division between Abu Karim Qasim and, and, uh, and uh, Jamal Abdel Nasser, they were able to kind of, you know, exist in, in, in both Cairo and, and Baghdad at the same time. And um, in, in later times, the, the Ba'athists, uh, you know, inherited this, this mantle and continued to, to, uh, to, to support the movement. So it's, it's uh, you know, it didn't start with the Ba'athists, it actually started with uh, advocating class. Oh, that's fascinating. Um, then another question, what, it, I mean, what is left of the Khaliji left um, after the long 1960s and 70s? Um, and what was the, the role of the PDRY? 
Um, well, the PDROI really um, uh, uh, served as, as you know, a, a center for many, um, uh, you know, Khaliji activists, particularly for the, the, the far revolution uh, and, you know, people affiliated with it. Um, I should say that I'm not a, an expert on this period in, 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 in history. Um, but what is left of it today, I think we, we see quite a few, uh, for example, in, in, in Bahrain, we see, you know, that there are basically, uh, you know, the, the, the inheritors, you know, the, the, the con con continuation of these uh, um, early movements uh, exist till, till this day. I mean, we have, you know, political societies such as Wa'at, which is which is the continuation of the you know popular front for the liberation of Bahrain, which came out of the popular front of the liberation of, of Oman in the Arabian Gulf, and um, uh, you also have, for example, al Minbar al-Taqaddumi, which is the the continuation of um, the Bahraini National Liberation Front. So I mean, the, the, you you really have you know institutional continuity, for example, especially in Bahrain. Where many of these these societies, political societies, are still active, and and there are you know members of parliament and 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 in uh, you know Bahrain today who, who belong to this uh, this um, you know legacy and, and, and these these groups, um, uh, so it's it you know it it, it varies. It's I, I think I'd say elsewhere in, in the Gulf, it's it's not as as organized and institutionalized. Uh, there's you know a, a, a but it's, 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 I would say, in, especially, for example, in, in Kuwait, which I, can, I think I can judge best, you, you see really, a, a, I think, a resurgence in, in, um, in leftist rhetoric, uh, you know, in social media. We now have basically a, 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 a political society or a political group that, that you know, political parties and, or, or societies in, in, in Kuwait do, don't have any legal status. But it's an established group called Tayyar um, al-Taqaddumi or Harakat al-Taqaddumi al-Kuwaitiya, the Kuwaiti Progressive uh, Movement, and you know they're they're going to field a a um, a, um, uh, a a candidate in in the upcoming elections, um, and they are basically a continuation of a a you know a, a pro-Soviet communist group that existed in the 80s called Hizb al-Tihad al-Shab. Uh, so, so you know, uh, but there, among a new generation, you also see, uh, especially of young people, you see uh, a lot of uh, uh, you know uh, uh, Marxist rhetoric now, uh, uh, you know, coming back. And I think this is something that we saw after the Arab Spring, where we see basically a resurgence in in these ideologies, whether it be Marxism or Arab nationalism. Uh, um, you know, it's 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 hard to see really to what extent these ideologies are backed up by by um, uh, uh, you know. Movements and, and and have actual you know roots in in, in, in society, but but it certainly has become more prominent, and and uh, there's a disillusionment I think with with uh, what existed before, especially in the 90s when we had really a dichotomy of of secularists versus Islamists. Now we have people saying no, you know, not, not, I mean. It, 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 that's not the only thing that matters in politics, you know. I mean, uh, people, for example, from the left who, who, who criticize, for example, liberalism. Uh, uh, so this is something that has been really, I'd say, over the past decade, decade and a half, has been resurfacing and was really, I think, brought into focus by the Arab Spring. Okay, great. Um, and then another question, kind of going 
back in time, I guess, a bit. Um, so saying uh, the Dofar revolution is notable for the participation of women uh, and the concern with ending oppressive practices against women as part of its political program. So can you share any sense of the role of women in the program work or participants of the OU? Um, I wasn't able to find anything to, to that effect. So this is, I mean, I imagine this might be a, a, a generational you know, shift. And, and we also have to remember that many of these, these activists were in exile. Uh, so, you know, normally the people who would leave the country and go to work outside uh, Oman would be men as opposed to, uh, as opposed to women. So uh, um, I think, you know, that's, that's really, we're talking about, uh, you know, the leadership, but also the, the, um, the, uh, the, the, the demographic base, you know, which were many of the, the Omanis who went to work in the oil fields of, of Eastern Saudi Arabia and, and, and in Bahrain and in Kuwait. I mean, they were... I think primar primarily be um, bachelors. They wouldn't be people who, who would who would actually migrate with with uh, with uh, you know with, their, with women with their daughters and wives and such. So so I think I I, I haven't come across any um, evidence of the participation of women in this group. Um, another question about whether OU members engaged in fighting in the Jabal Akhtar war or were engaged in recruitment or fundraising during uh, the Imamate's military efforts. Uh, well, there's really um, only indications that they participated in guerrilla operations in in um, in Muscat, as opposed to the the Jebel itself. I mean, it's possible. I mean, uh, the the um, the novel I talked about, Manaki the Jebel Akhbar by by Abdel Atai, uh, tells the story of a, of an activist who is clearly a you know he's a, he's a muthaqaf, he's he's an, you know one of the intelligentsia, and he goes to fight in the the uh, the, the mountain, and uh, you know he claims that uh, Atai claims that this was based on off a true story, uh, but it's not clear. Uh, even when it comes to the guerrilla operations, I mean it's very sketchy, and, and there's only really um, the only thing that that is, is, is really, um, I'd say, you know, confirmed, is the, the participation of, of the OU is, is, is mentioned uh, in, in, in a book by um, uh, J.E. Peterson called Oman's Insurgencies, where he basically, based off of the, um, the, the, the Omani army archives, which are, are inaccessible, but, but he was able to use, uh, th there's basically a report that talks about their, um, their participation in the uh, basically detonating of a bomb in a, uh, a gas station, which was owned by uh, uh, Kim Jiramdas, who was a, a, a close business associate of the, uh, of the, uh, the Sultan at the time. So, so I mean, uh, uh, it, I think that's, that's uh, you know, um, it, it's, it's in tune, I'd say, with the rhetoric of the group, which really celebrated the, um, you know, the, the beginning of, of guerrilla operations in Oman, in, uh, you know, in, in Sot Oman, in, uh, on the pages of the magazine. They really lauded these, these initial, uh, uh, you know, uh, guerrilla operations. And they, uh, you know, basically said that, you know, this is evidence of the, of the uh, you know, of what, we, what we're pursuing, basically, which is this united front, this, this you know, united revolution that, 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 you know, goes beyond inner Oman to encompass Oman on the coast as well. So I think, you know, in, in light of this, um, you know, rhetoric, I think it's, it's, it's quite, you know, uh, uh, probable that they, that they had, you know, and, 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 and uh, a role in these guerrilla operations, which begin in, in, in 1958. 
Um, I just kind of related to the group's ideology more. Um, you mentioned engagement with Marxist thinking, particularly of a political strike, so focus on class struggle and anti-colonialism. Was there any engagement with Marx's work itself, um, particularly the more political economic dimension of his writing and thinking? Um, I think this is, 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 uh, is hard to gauge. I mean, we, we have to, uh, there are indications that uh, the, the individual members of the group, uh, uh, you know, engage with Marxist writings. But uh, like I said, they were careful. They, they um, I mean, they, they, you know, would uh, uh, publish, you know, articles by, by, by Marxist writers. They would publish maybe quotes by, by Marx and other, you know, uh, communist thinkers. But they weren't uh, very, you know, in your face about it. And, and I mean, we have to remember that they were um, publishing this magazine in Egypt, uh, you know, under the watch of the, the Mukhabarat. And, you know, they didn't have, you know, free reign to publish whatever they wanted. Um, so it's, it's, and the same thing with, I mean, with their, their, their early writings, like I said, you know, they, they, a lot of them uh, published in, in Arab nationalist organs. So I think, I mean, you know, their, their whole strategy was to, to pursue a, a, you know, a, uh, a, um, a common, uh, basically, a, a front, you know, to, 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 to achieve unity between these, um, you know, uh, different actors, different anti-colonial actors in the Gulf. So I, I think that they, would, they wouldn't have wanted to antagonize the Arab nationalists, for example, by, by you know, speaking about uh, Marx directly. Uh, uh, but like I said, you know, uh, um, there are, there are, you know, it, it certainly, you know, reference that, that you know, Hussein Haider Darwish talks about the group reading, uh, uh, you know, uh, Marxist literature in while in Karachi, um, you know, and there are indications that this might have started even when they were, you know, like some were students in, in Baghdad in, in the late 30s. So it's, it's uh, you know, but at the same time, I should say that, that it, like I said, it, it wasn't exclusively Marxist. It was a very eclectic socialism that, that really brought together a, a variety of, of influences, whether we're talking about, you know, uh, third world socialism, uh, you know, Nasser's Arab socialism and, and, and Nehru's, uh, you know, uh, ideas and, 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 and the Yugoslavian model, or we're talking about, you know, even Fabian socialists. Uh, uh, like I said, I pointed to this one book that was translated by Mohammed Amin Abdullah and was promoted by Sot Oman. So it's, it was a, a, a very eclectic approach to socialism. I think they undoubtedly read Marx, they undoubtedly were influenced by Marx, but, but uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard given the sources that are available, given the, the um, situation in which they operated, it's hard to, um, to gauge to what extent they were they were you know using it for example as you know internal uh, uh, you know party uh, uh, material or, or or they were you know encouraging the members to read Marx. This this is isn't something that we can really um, uh, tell from what we have. That makes sense. Um, and then another question about kind of the membership. Um, what kinds of backgrounds did these intelligentsia come from? For instance, uh, sons of the merchants of big merchant families or tribal families. Uh, any membership from the ruling family itself in Oman? Uh, yes, I mentioned Faisal bin Ali bin Faisal al-Busaidi, who was, uh, uh, you know, a member of the ruling family. Uh, 
Um, there were, um, you know, people from, from merchant backgrounds. Uh, Saint Haidat Darwish, for example, came from a merchant background. There were people from very modest backgrounds as well. I think that, that I mean, the thing is with the, the intelligentsia, you're talking about a social stratum that, that is united really by a, a, a common experience of undergoing, uh, you know, Western style education at a time when society was really largely traditional, largely illiterate. So it, it's, it's this that brought them together as opposed to a common socioeconomic background. So you have people from a variety of, of, of you know, class backgrounds, but who come together and converge because of their, um, you know, participation in this, this, this common uh, um, uh, experience of studying in, 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 in you know modern schools and, and having this, this this modern outlook you know that is that is you know basically manifested through the wearing of of uh, of, of western clothes for example and and you know uh, you know particular uh, you know uh, methods or, or particular you know uh, um, you know ways of speech so it's it's uh, um, you know it, 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 it I would say it's a very diverse membership but it's brought together by this by this, you know, Muthaqqaf culture. That makes sense. There are a couple of questions about kind of the, the present state of the Omani left, which I think you did touch on, and a couple also related to kind of present day, so not, not so much the topic here. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna skip over those, and there is one question that I'm sure we're all eager about, is whether you'll be researching and publishing on this topic more, um, if we can expect a journal article or a book, um, and if so, when. Um, so what you're working on, I guess, on this topic moving forward. Uh, well, I'm, I, uh, I published on this, like I said, um, I, basically I talked about the, uh, the relationship of the Omani Union to uh, Kuwait's educational authorities and, and, and particularly looking at the scholarships that were provided to Omanis. That's something that I've, I've published as well. Uh, I don't know if my um, PowerPoint is still up on the screen, but I can plug my paper, which is, which is here. Um, uh, and that, that it doesn't talk only about the OU, but also other, other groups. And this was really where, where I started getting into the OU um, and, and, you know, looking at this, this angle. But now I'm, I, I'm in the process of writing a journal article about uh, the, the group as a whole, you know, uh, basically, you know, something close to this presentation, giving a broad introduction to the group, the group and its place within the, the you know, the, the history of the Armani left and its, and its, its genealogy. So it's... it's um, um, early days still, but, but it's something that I'm working on. Great, that's fantastic. And I guess none of the material is, is digitized, right? So it's all a matter. I mean, some of the books you can find, uh, online, but, uh, but none of the, um, none of the, I mean, so, you can find sometimes the, the, the British, uh, uh, you know, records contain some of the, for example, Imamate, um, uh, uh, pamphlets or, or, um, or, you know, newsletters. And even like a, there's a single issue of Sotra Aman that I found there. Uh, but, but the, the, uh, the magazine as a whole has not been digitized, hasn't even been co compiled and collected. And, uh, and again, if anyone has, you know, access or, or knows of, of issues outside the British library and, and the library of Congress and Stanford university library, please let me know. Great, um, and I don't know if there's, if there's anything else you want to add before before we close up. Um, we've covered a lot, and I really, really admire your work, and uh, think you're you're doing some fascinating stuff. So I don't know if there's anything you wanted to add. Uh, thanks, Courtney. That's very kind of you. No, there there isn't. Okay. Well, thanks again, and thanks to everyone for joining us. Um, and looking forward to to reading more of your work on this topic and and others that I think are really important, especially to kind of decolonizing. Really studies and, and especially getting a focus more on the intellectual history of the Gulf. So thanks again and thanks to everyone for joining us.
Thanks very much, Courtney.